This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. And if you're listening in downtown Toronto, you can also tune us in on 96.7. I'm Walter Rigabon. I'm your host this morning. My co-host Naz Marchese is down in Boston uh, watching the Blue Jays play. And he'll be with us, uh, joining us with uh, joining us on the air by telephone. And we're also pleased to uh, welcome to our studio... The Spider-Man, affectionately known as the Spider-Man, Spider-Jones, of course, Spider-Jones, award-winning radio talk show host, journalist, motivational speaker, singer, and member of the Canadian Boxing Hall of Fame. And, of course, Spider, uh, when we asked you to come on the show earlier on the week, we had not anticipated what would happen this week. And as it turned out, a friend of yours, the greatest of all time, the champ, Muhammad Ali has passed, and it's certainly a sad day. And uh, good morning, Naz. If you're listening, if you're with us, Naz. Good morning. How are you doing? Good day. Uh, we're doing great. Thanks for joining us, and Spider. I know. Uh, I got to uh, say good morning to Naz first. Uh, he's in Boston, uh, uh, living large, and we're stuck in a studio in Liberty Village. Uh, it must be nice. Well, it's nice in Boston, that's for sure. <laughs> Raining here. It's raining a little bit. Anyways, uh, Spider, um, Muhammad Ali. Uh, I posted it on my Facebook page yesterday. Um, the most iconic, influential boxer in history. And in my estimation, one of the most important figures of the 20th century. Um, your comments, your, 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 uh, your response to that. Am I, uh, have I got it right? Uh, you're absolutely right. He, no, no, he transcended boxing. He transcended sports. Uh, he was a, a, a sports icon, a political figure, and also uh, when, you, when you think about uh, class, social class, uh, he was more than a fighter. He was an advocate of the poor, uh, an advocate of, uh, of the uh, excluded, and uh, uh, he just a charismatic, the most charismatic person in my life that I ever had the the honor of dealing with and becoming a friend to. Talking to Spider Jones, Spider, um, and we're privileged to have you here this morning because you had uh, um, you called Muhammad Ali a friend. He was a friend of yours. Absolutely, uh, he, he and was. Tell, a friend. tell us a little bit about uh, or a little bit or a lot about. Uh, how that friendship started, and how that Muhammad ex- 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 exemplified that friendship to you, and how that friendship developed over the years. Well, it it began in 1966. I 
I, I just gotten out of uh, a prison, uh, Millbrook Reformatory, where I had served uh, uh, time for uh, <laughs> uh, shaking down uh, hustlers and pimps. <laughs> At any rate, I was living at Sully's gym. George Chavella had arranged that because I had nowhere to live. I had about $5 in my pocket and uh, a seersucker suit that was provided by the Salvation Army. And uh, I was skipping one day, and the phone rang. They used to have the old phones off the wall. And I reached over and picked up the phone. It was a guy named Don Album out of Erie, Pennsylvania, who worked with uh, uh, Don King and uh, some other uh, boxing promoters, but he asked to speak to Sully, and I got wind of the fact that Ali had been scheduled to fight in Montreal, but that had been canceled, and uh, so he they decided to fight George Chavala here in Toronto. And so I knew before the media did, and Sully, uh, the iconic uh, Sully Sullivan, 109 Ossington, we had the gym there at that time, up top of Bart's Collision, and uh, Sully said, don't say nothing to the press. Sully was this character. Uh, he, he always wore a plaid jacket, loud sunglasses, a big stogie, and drove a Cadillac. And he, he was well-known in, in boxing circles in Toronto. So anyway, he says, don't tell the press we're going to hold a conference. And I remember the first day that Ali arrived. I was late because I was out doing some road work. I'd been training for a, a Golden Glove tournament. I was a Golden Glove champion at the time and training for a big Golden Glove tournament, which was going to take place in Detroit. And uh, I remember coming back up Ossington from Queen North, heading up to the gym, and both sides of the curb were lined up with cars from all over you the license place i noticed them right away ohio uh kentucky uh, uh quebec uh new york and all that michigan and they're all there to see the, the the most famous man on the planet and it was muhammad ali so i i, I he at the time that i went up the stairs and into the gym uh he was in the back room being interviewed by Howard Cow Sam. In Toronto. Absolutely. Okay. 1966, March, early March. And uh, I, I began to converse with um, Angelo Dundee, his trainer, the great Angelo Dundee, who also trained Sugar Ray Leonard, Carmen Basilio. But Dundee was very impressed with, with my boxing knowledge. I knew that he had trained Carmen Basilio and Willie Pastrano, who went on to become world champions. And so I said, you think the champ would uh, take a picture with me, say hello after? Because I was like everyone else. I was enamored by this, blown away by, by, by this loquacious, this loudmouth bragger. Have I got a minute or am I? No, no, no. Okay. Go ahead. you got lots of time. So I, I, you're got, here, you're I, here I'm for not, the whole hour, I'm the my son friend. of a Baptist minister, so I'm pretty long-winded at times. So anyway, Muhammad Ali finally comes out of the dressing room, and uh, Angelo Dundee says, Hey, champ, come on over. I want somebody to meet. I want you to meet somebody. So Ali walks over to me very slowly, and uh, Ali loves to to get a reaction out of people, a response. So he walks over to me slowly, and he's staring at me right in the eye like it's, we call it, you know, the, uh, it wasn't, a, it, you could see that he, it was a mock glare. And he's, he wants to get a response out of me. And the place is jammed. Now remember, this gym, 600 people a day paid 
two bucks to get in. We called it back then a deuce just to watch this guy. And the press from all over the uh, United States and Canada were there. So he walks over to me. He says, your name's Spider Jones. You're a Golden Glove champion. He said, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, you think you bad? And I said, no. He said, because I'm going to whip you. Take your jacket off. So I caught on right away. You know, everybody knows that he likes to clown around. I, I, I pull my jacket off. He runs and hides behind Angelo Dundee and says, Angie, don't let him hurt me. Don't let him hurt me. I'll bleed all over you. That's my first meeting with Muhammad Ali. And it, we just had something in common, and it was a quick friendship. But here was a guy. Here's what I want to say, Wally and Naz. Here was a guy, the most famous man on the planet. I was an ex-con just out of prison, broker than Humpty Dumpty after he fell off the wall. And this guy, he took to me. That was wonderful. Incredible story. Uh, I, we got Naz on the line from Boston. Naz, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, to uh, to get into the show. So, uh, any uh, any uh, comments with respect to what Spider said? Your recollections of Ali? Uh, I'll, the, g- I'll give you your shot here, Naz. The fight I remember is the Foreman Ali fight, and uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was such an underdog in that fight, Spider. And uh, what do you remember on that fight? Oh, I got to tell you something. True story. He was a 20-to-1 underdog. Foreman had just destroyed <laughs> Smokin' Joe Fraser and Kenny Norton. Two rounds apiece. Here's two guys uh, that gave Allie fits and fights. They'd both beaten him once. Allie had about as much chance of beating Foreman as a poli- as a, as an ice cube does in a politician's mouth. That was how they looked at it. He didn't have a shot, but I believed he could do it. And I'll tell you why very quickly. I watched George Foreman prior to beating Fraser and Foreman. I saw him fight a guy named Gregorio Peltra from South America, who was over the hill. He was he was a thirty nine year old light heavyweight. Blowing up light heavyweight, he gave Foreman fits. The first time they fought, he went 10 rounds with Foreman, and the second time, Foreman took 10 rounds to knock him out. Foreman had these big arms, and he tired very quickly. But Fraser, Fraser, and, and, and Norton were built for him because they didn't get out of the way. It's like putting a Mack truck on a train track. The Mack truck isn't going to survive on a train, uh, on an oncoming train. So that's what it was like. But, uh, I mean, it was a hell of a fight. Allie created the rope-a-dope, and I interviewed him after that. I, I, we were friends. We talked. I mean, I know what happened. Uh, he, he, on the, he did not do that prior to that night. He... He created a rope-a-dope right there and then in the first round. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, his, his, his trainer, uh, Dundee, Bodini Brown, they had no idea what, what, what he was up to. That, that, he came up with that all of himself. And you're telling me he thought about that in the first round yes, of that be- fight? Absolutely. He because- just decided after six, after six weeks or two months of training and, and talking strategy and whatever, the first round of that fight, he says, you know what? I'm just going to let him. I'm just going to let him wear himself out. Well, you know what he said. I cannot dance for 15 rounds in this weather. The it was one of those steamy, hot nights in the middle of the jungle, Zaire in Africa. It was 120 degrees, and he knew 
that with he, that under those conditions he could not go 15 rounds so he fell to the ropes he also knew what yeah. what people some people knew them fighters with big big strong arms tire a lot quicker he allowed foreman to beat on him and beat on him and foreman became shocked because foreman was hammering him ali was saying oh you got that all you got man you got to go hotter than that <laughs> foreman it blew Foreman's mind. To this day, Foreman would. Foreman loves Ali. He calls him the greatest fighter of all time. But uh, you know that was a heck of a fight, uh, Nazi. That was a hell of a fight. People forget about people forget about George Foreman. Is that he's become this grandfatherly, jovial figure after he started doing the commercials and all that. In the early seventies, after he came out of the Mexico City Olympics with the gold medal, when he he was he was a destroyer. You know, and people forget he was a nasty, nasty guy. When 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 Ali fought him, he wasn't this he wasn't this jovial, friendly guy that we know now. At that time, he was he was an absolute uh, destroyer in the ring. And and Ali, uh, you know, as as you, you you know, he there were very few people who actually ever thought he was going to win that fight. Yeah, he was perceived to be a bully back then, wasn't he, Spider? He was absolutely. He, uh, Sonny Liston was his idol. He worshipped <laughs> Sonny Liston. That's not a good role model. <laughs> and I hate to speak ill of the dead because Sonny Liston, uh, to me, was a great fighter in his time. But, I mean, this guy was so tough. At one time in St. Louis, it took nine cops to bring him down. Uh, he was a tough guy. And uh, that's who George Foreman. But George Foreman came from the streets. He grew up in Houston, Texas. And, and I mean, there's a lot of crime where he grew up. So, yeah, George was a tough guy. He was destroying people. Absolutely. Anyways, we've uh, we're talking to Spider Jones. It's uh, it's our tribute to Muhammad Ali. Uh, my co-host Naz Marchese is down in Boston, enjoying the Jays in Fenway Park. We're going to be going to break, and as soon as we come back to the break, Naz, we'll be talking to you about your experiences in Boston, and we'll be talking some Blue Jays. And after that, it'll be Spider and I talking about Muhammad Ali. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often, and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. 
Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. With a little training, anyone can learn the security business while on duty at your home or company. It's unfortunate, but a lot of security companies are just not experienced enough to handle the complex dynamics of tactical security. And that little bit of training and experience can end up costing you a lot more than you bargained for. Peace of mind, trust, and honor is the foundation on which the Regal Security reputation is built. They're driven, they're respected, and they're unrivaled. They're everyday superheroes. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. In, uh, in the house with me this morning is the, the man affectionately known as the Spider-Man, Spider-Jones. And of course, we're uh, recalling the life and times of Muhammad Ali. My co-host, Naz Marchese, has been cheering up the Blue Jays down in Boston. Good morning, Naz. You're, uh, we got to get you in quick here because I know you got to catch a plane, but... Uh, uh, Give us your recap of the Blue Jays and their and their weekend in Boston so well, far. Friday night, uh, Ari Dickio pitches uh, David Price. That's a strange uh, statement from me, <laughs> but <laughs> he did, and uh, he he had six walks but only gave up a couple of hits. He uh, pitched very well that night. Now this is, I take it, this is your first uh, first trip to Fenway. Oh yeah, it's first trip, but not my last. I'm going to come back down again. It's a great experience. You know, I experienced the Alabama Crimson Tide for three years, and uh, I've never seen anything like Fenway Park. Fenway Park's a what they would call, I guess, a baseball shrine. Um, anybody who is a baseball fan or passionate about baseball has to make the pilgrimage. Uh, Fenway's, uh, of course, one of the places. A Yankee Stadium is, of course, one of the others. But Yankee Stadium's gone through substantial uh, changes. But Fenway's more or less what it was a uh, hundred years ago, or whenever it was put together. Tell us a little bit uh, about uh, what makes Fenway Park a special place. Well, you know, they have a they have a, a tour that we took uh, for uh, for the day, and uh, we went and saw batting practice. We went and saw the uh, the, we heard the history of uh, Fenway Park and uh, the Ted Williams' longest home run in the 502 feet. And they have a chair specifically in red, the one chair in the whole stadium, and it's in red. And that's where the the, the guy sat. Hit, the ball hit him on the home run, and they measured it at 502 feet. Wow. Imagine hitting a ball 502 feet. That's, uh, that's pretty far. Tell us, uh, uh, in terms of Fenway... Um 
The Green Monsters, of course, of course, the uh, the feature of Fenway that distinguishes it from every other stadium in the world. The infamous Green Monster. When you're sitting in the stands and uh, you're looking at the Green Monster, tell us a little bit about what that. Oh, well, I uh, saw the Green Monster. We were right in. The, they have seats at the, in the Green at the Green Monster now, and you're able to buy those seats. So we saw it right in right right in the outfield. It's an amazing. I could have sat there for 24 hours. I was so impressed. You feel the spirit in there. Yeah, you do. You know what I mean? You do, Spider. Absolutely. I I was there years ago, and, uh, uh, you know, the the spirit, Carl Yastrzemski and the splendid splinter, Ted Williams. I mean, wow. Boston has a rich history in in all sports. I mean, that's where Rocky Marciano, basically Brockton, Massachusetts, uh, uh, the marvelous one, Marvin Hagler, Boston, Massachusetts, man, I tell you, I envy you down there. There's nothing like spending a a, a, a beautiful day watching uh, baseball at Fenway Park, especially when when Dickey uh, outduels Price. Wow, that's something. Yeah, there's something uh, there's something about the experience. And I spent five days in Boston a couple of summers ago, and uh, man, and, and it's like some there's something unique about uh, Boston, and I guess. And in, in, in it sort of it's it's rivalry with New York. Boston's a much smaller city than than you would think, uh, the city proper, and it's it's completely outsized by New York. But they constantly love to beat up New Yorkers. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, you know, guys, the, the most impressive part of the downtown area where Fenway Park is is. This. Still has the old buildings. It yeah. has that feel. You know, it has that feel. It's, it's, the architecture it's, it's, there—it's a great city. Yeah, that, the, the, the architecture there reminds me of Boston and Philly. They have that great and, architecture. And in uh, Boston, fans are so passionate. I mean, yeah, just going around Boston, just talking sports with the with the Boston cab drivers is an experience all in of itself. Boston, you know the way they're. <laughs> I remember their I was in Boston. I told the guy I was I, I hosted a I co-hosted a sports talk radio show in uh, in Toronto. He wouldn't let me go. He wanted to talk to me for like for an hour and a half. I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't stop talking with the guy. He just the the passion for sports they show is just just phenomenal, and they've been lucky. In the, and we talked to Eddie Andelman, of course, every now and then, the Godfather of Sports Radio, and he doesn't. He says if Boston sports fans had to put up with what Toronto sports fans, there'd be there'd be the second revolution in the Boston Harbor if if they uh, if they had the level of misery that we've had in Toronto. Over uh, they the won't years. tolerate it. Do you have to have winners <laughs> or close to it, like like the, the like the Bruins and, and uh, the Red Sox, and the I Patriots? Mean, yes, yes, they and they've just, had they've had winners. Anyways, Naz, I want to take you back to the. Uh, 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 something that I know is near and dear to your heart, which is your passion for the Toronto Blue Jays. I noticed on your Facebook postings, you're decked out in full Blue Jays regalia, and uh, you're down there for a celebration. Tell me what it's like to be a Blue Jays fan, uh, decked in full Blue Jays attire in Fenway Park. Anybody picking on you? No, nobody's picking on us because there is probably two to 3,000 Blue Jays fans there. It was incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. The amount of noise that the Blue Jay fans made, they all partied all weekend long, and it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And I'll tell you what, the Toronto-Boston rivalry is there here, too, in Boston. They really think our, the Blue Jays have a really good team, and uh, the rivalry is there now. I've got to ask you. It's been it's been a pretty good week for the Jays, and not the result they would have liked yesterday. I understand it was a didn't get to see the game, but uh, sounded like it was a great baseball game yesterday. Jays didn't win it, 
But uh, we've had a pretty good run this week. Jays are sniffing, uh, sniffing uh, first place again. Give us your assessment of what's uh, what the Jays have been doing right in the last couple of weeks. Well, what? I'll tell you one thing, Wally and Spider. The, the, the Jays really strut their stuff. They are a confident group. They're spending some time around, the, uh, around, around their dugout. They are a very, very confident group going on, and uh, I think they're going to do very, very well the rest of the year. I'm a little concerned about Marcus Stroman, though. He's getting lit up with his fastball. He's being hit all over the park, and I think this is not the first time. It's quite a few times. So he's got to correct something. He might be the uh, the low low on the totem pole when it comes to pitchers on the on the staff because of it. He's really struggling. Yeah, and they expected a, a, a bigger things of him. But I tell you, you're right, uh, Nas. That that that's an that's a murderous row. That lineup now, them batters and the woods talking big now. They got them toothpicks cracking, and I love it. It makes them exciting. I enjoy. I don't generally get into baseball till the the dog days of summer, but boy, with these with the Batista and 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 Donaldson and and then Carcassi and then these guys and and of course the, the, uh, there's some of the the great defensive moves. I mean, they've did this year. These guys are just. Uh, I love them. I think we got a great team, and I tell you, they're enjoyable. And you never know uh, when these guys are going to, because they could, with the kind of power they have now, they can come back. Uh, no question about their power. Nez, I uh, want you to uh, tell us uh, your assessment of uh, the, certainly the what's let the Blue Jays down so far this season has been their uh, their long relief staff, their uh, their pitchers in the, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth innings. Uh, 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 it wasn't evident in the last two days. Their bullpen uh, pitched very well. In the last yeah, tell us days. a little bit about what you saw from the bullpen in the last couple of days. I thought they were pretty good. They were uh, almost perfect. Uh, they gave up one run in the uh, first game against. And which uh, which pitchers? Top. Which pitchers are we talking about? The starting one. Oh, the starting, but the relief, uh, the 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 long relievers. How are they doing? No, the long relievers are fine. Uh, they they've done uh, a really good job. The bullpen has done a really good job the last couple of days. If they continue pitching like that, they'll be fine. Anyways, we certainly wish uh, the Blue Jays all the best. Naz, i got to let you know, I, got, I just got a text from a good friend of yours. I won't mention his name on the air. Wants to know what bars you've been frequenting down in Boston. You know what? I didn't really drink that much. And it's funny, my brother and my nephew are in the room here listening to this, but I didn't really drink that much, so I... We frequented uh, a couple of bars downtown, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. The, yeah, he's just saying in the background. Oh, I, I got it. Then I'm going to ask you once, but you, you didn't end up at the fours, did you? No, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Naz. Uh, of course, Naz Marchese, my co-host on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, calling in live from Boston this morning. Naz. Uh, no, it's Boston. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Naz, do your do your uh, do your Boston number four or imitation for us. You want me to do it right now? Yeah, uh, you got to do it. Boston You're in Boston. Boston school, I've been number four or assist by number nine Busick and by number nineteen McKenzie. Anyways, that's my, that's my co-host Naz Marchese calling in from Boston. And listen, Naz, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we wish you uh, safe travels and uh, looking forward to seeing you back in here next Sunday morning. You're welcome. Nice talking to you, Spider. Hey, uh, thanks for having me sit in for you. It's a pleasure, buddy. Okay. Catch you later. Keep have well. I, have I got a second? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, uh, Go ahead. You brought up a name, Bobby Orr. And, and you know, Bobby Orr is one of the, if not the greatest player I ever saw. And, and, and young people today that haven't seen him play don't understand what this guy could do. 
And the Boston Bruins, I loved their physical style back in the day. They were the big, bad Bruins. And, 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 and I mean, that was entertainment. And, and Boston's very proud of that team. I mean, they love Bob York. He's a god in Boston. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, an incredibly nice gentleman, too. I've had the honor of meeting yeah. him on many, and his brother, yeah. and Bobby Orr has remained humble. And he was driving along one day many years ago, and he heard me defend him to someone that said, you can't be an agent and, and, also, uh, and also coach these, uh, that, uh, that team along with Don Cherry when they had these, these tournaments every, every year. And I said, yeah, you can because the guy has, uh, the guy has integrity. And he heard me say that. And the next thing I know, the guy driving, he was on the line, and I had Bobby Orr on my show. Uh, we were going coast to coast, and we spent about 20 minutes talking. And he's just a wonderful man. Absolutely. Anyways, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We've got to go to our second break. Of course, we've got the Spider-Man in the house, and he's going to be with us for the entire hour. And when we come back Double to the- shock power! <laughs> Double shock power! You're the best, Spider. And as we come back, we'll be uh, we'll be doing a little bit more of a tribute to Muhammad Ali. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when they got up in my grill. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. You get two Ponzerotti with two toppings per, plus ten chicken wings. I say for sure. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. That's nineteen ninety nine. A deal for real. A steal. Ponzo Combo. Ponzo Combo. Yo, visit pizzaville.ca or pound 3636 from your cell phone, Wood. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. 
The security business is easy, right? Anyone can learn it. Perhaps they can learn it on duty with your valuables at stake. Perhaps they can learn it in a crisis situation that requires an immediate intelligent response when lives are at risk. After all, what harm can a few mistakes make? Plenty. When it comes to security for your business or office, an experienced partner like Regal Security makes sense. Security is what they do. Peace of mind is what they provide. Visit them online at regalsecurity.ca and find out how much they know, not how much they can learn. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are we are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. And uh, with me as a co-host this week is the Spider-Man himself, Spider Jones. Spider, welcome once again. I'm having it's a great, to great have you. time. I love it. Zoomer. Zoomer. 740. We're Zoomers, wow. Spider. All the We're great Zoomers. music. No, where else do you get it? You know, I'm when I'm driving when I when I'm driving along and I you know, I, I usually listen to uh, Sirius XM, but when, when I want to hear the great music that I grew up on that were on the charts back in the day, I come to Zoomer. You listen in to Zoomer Radio. Absolutely. And if you're listening in on in downtown AM Toronto, 740. 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. I tell if you're Moses Neymar is doing in his stereo. Thing. Anyways, uh, <laughs> once again, we uh, we lost uh, we lost a personal friend of yours this week, uh, and uh, I know Muhammad. You know Muhammad very well, and uh, he would not want us in studio being sad or being in mourning. He would want us uh, being having fun and celebrating, and uh, certainly it gives us pause to uh, to celebrate the life of Muhammad Ali, not necessarily to mourn his passing. But uh, before we do that, uh, it, it is really incredible the outpouring that I've seen in the last, since he passed away, and it, it, it's, it's, it hasn't, you know, just I guess it was early Saturday morning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's just an incredible, incredible outpouring of remembrance, of affection, of celebration, of contemplation of the life of Muhammad Ali. And like I said, uh, he was the most influential, in my opinion, the most influential athlete in history, one of the most important figures of the 20th century. And I I may get a lot of debate about that, but uh, Spider, you and I are old enough uh, to have, we can put, the life of Ali in an historical context, and the historical context for Ali is the nineteen. For me, and and you, you know, you you obviously knew him as a friend. I didn't, but for me, I put him in the context of the nineteen sixties, and the nineteen sixties formed, to a certain extent, a lot of the values and a lot of the opinions that I hold dear. And it was certainly, if he didn't live through the nineteen sixties, they were certainly a, a period of incredible change, incredible upheaval. And Muhammad Ali was one of the central figures of the 1960s for a whole lot of different reasons. And he's historically tied to some of the great events, uh, not great necessarily in in positive or negative sense, but in a historical sense. And one of them is the Vietnam War. And I, I remember being young and being idealistic and being liberal and being Canadian and being opposed to the Vietnam War. Um, 
There used to be a lot of anti-war demonstrations on University Avenue in front of the universe in front of the U.S. consulate. Of course, a lot of what Americans called draft dodgers came to Canada during that time period. And it's historically, as we turn out, draft dodgers is not necessarily the term we want to use today. And uh, Muhammad Ali was in the thick of that. Muhammad Ali, this lone black American, young black American, in a time of racial strife, decided he was going to take on the entire military-industrial complex in the United States and said, I'm not going off to war. I don't believe in it. Uh, In fact, one of his most famous sayings and one of the most uh, famous quotes from the 1960s, I ain't got no quarrel with them Viet Cong. And he stood up. He stood up. And he and people forget uh, that he was severely criticized at that time by a lot of people uh, who weren't in favor of his stance. America was a divided nation. But this young black man decided, I ain't going off to war. I don't believe in it. And... And uh, that was certainly historically important. Uh, when that happened, Spider, uh, you were a young black man. Living in Detroit at the time when it first happened, because when Allie came up on the scene, I was living in Detroit, and I was friends with a guy by the name of uh, Sonny Banks, Sonny Lucian Banks, who was the being uh, uh, heralded as is the next Joe Lewis. And this guy was knocking guys out uh, colder than a polar bear's lunch. And I mean, he was, he was the bad dude. And then I hear about this guy out of St. Louis. I mean, not out of St. Louis, but out of Kentucky. This loudmouth kid named Muhammad Ali. At the time, it was Cassius, Cassius Clay. Clay. They called him Gaseous Cassius. And he'd won a gold medal in the Olympics in the light heavyweight division. He was a puffed-up light heavyweight. There's no way he was going to beat our boy in Detroit. We were in a, my, my uncle had a barber shop, and everybody laughed and talked about, this boy going to get his ASS kick this time, you know, playing with uh, uh, Sonny Banks. But Allie said he's going in four. Historically, it was the first time Ali was knocked down. Sonny, Sonny Banks knocked him down, and I believe the fourth round, Ali got off the canvas and knocked him out in the fourth round. And then we started listening to him. But he, when he won the title in Miami in 1964, that very same day, he declared that he had been a, he was a black Muslim. It scared the hell out of people. He had suddenly went from a, a Baptist to a black Muslim, and at the time, they were being vilified in America. <clears throat> and you're right. Uh, uh, today, he is adored and respected. Back then, many Americans hated him. They wanted to see him lose. And when he decided that he was not going to go to Vietnam, he did something a lot of people don't understand. He took, not only did he take a stand, he could have went into the Army. He could have fought exhibitions, lived a cushy life in the Army, as Joe Lewis and Sugar Ray Robinson did. But Alice was a man of conviction. And that's the—today, we must understand why so many people adore him. It wasn't just his ring. He had his great skills. He was as charismatic as I've ever seen. He was a good-looking guy. He had it all. But he had conviction. He said, I'm not going to fight them Viet Cong when I got to still go in the uh, uh, the back uh, door to enter 
branch or a restaurant in my own city after I brought a gold medal home. And yet he would never talk bad about the United States when they interviewed him. Uh, he said to some Russian journalists when they, they tried to, uh, you know, provoke him into saying bad things about America, he said, hey, you know one thing? It's the greatest nation on earth, and we got qualified people working on our behalf. That's what he said. But remember this, Wally. Muhammad Ali sacrificed the four best years of his life. And during that time, he gave up millions of dollars. He could have gave in, but he didn't because he believed. And he had death threats against him. They wanted to put him so far under the jail that you would have to pump sunshine into him and feed him with a slingshot because he refused. That took courage. And I'll tell you, I don't know of an athlete today that would give up all of that. There's no one, there never no will chance. be another man. And he, he impacted he, our lives. He was just, he was, he was a man for his times. I've heard that saying so many times. He was a man for his times. In this, and he was a young, people forget, he's taking these courageous stands. He was a young man. He was a 24-year-old. He was 24 years old in the prime of his career. And only a and high school America, education. And a high school education. And, and, and let's, let's think about the times, the turbulence of the 1960s. We had just suffered the JFK assassination. We had the million, the million dream, uh, the... I am I, I, the dream speech from Martin Luther King. Yep, yep. The million people descended on Washington. Medgar Evers was murdered. There were uh, there were uh, the three people from Selma, Mississippi Alabama. burning. Yeah, there was the Vietnam mm -hmm. War. There was Dr. King's assassination. There was Robert Kennedy's assassination, and in, in in all of this cauldron of 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 passion in the 1960s emerged this incredible man, this young man. Muhammad Ali, uh, in, 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 there's so much distinct memories of Ali. Of course, the memory, the, the one memory that is immortalized forever, it is the most iconic sports photograph in world history. Um, it may be the most, one of the most famous photographs ever taken is that photo of Muhammad Ali standing over Sonny Liston, glowering at him. You know what he's saying? Get up, you dog! Get up! Get up, you dog! And the amazing part about that, you see that photo everywhere. It's a poster. My son, who was born five years after Muhammad Ali retired, had that poster above his bed. That's how iconic, uh, uh, you know. And in 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 that particular photo. Is, is Muhammad Ali. Um, it was the Vietnam War. It was all kinds of things happening in the 60s, and you got this young man that comes in and says, I ain't going off to war. And he sacrificed. You made the point, Spider. You made the point um, that needs to be... He sacrificed the best years of his career. He fought Liston the first fight in Miami in 1964, and he was stripped of his World Heavyweight Championship by the Boxing Commissions in early 1967 because he refused to report. And he had obliterated every heavyweight, except for George Chevallo. We've got to give George credit because George put up the good fight against Ali in Toronto, and we just celebrated the 50th anniversary of it. But from 1964 to 
1967, Muhammad Ali obliterated the heavyweight division. And not just that. He's the only, there's only two heavyweights in history that defended their title seven times in one year. That's unheard of today. Yeah. Joe Lewis did it, and Muhammad Ali, in a fiscal year, prior to his uh, being exiled and his passport taken away, defended his title seven times against every major contender. Never ducked anybody. We've talked about Muhammad Ali, the man, the legacy, his, his place in history. But deep down, it all started with boxing. He was a boxer. That's where it all started. And it started in Louisville, Kentucky. I, I've heard the stories about it all started because he had his bike stolen or some, or some story like that. It was his bike. It was grade 8. He, it yes. was a graduation gift. Yeah. And he became a boxer at the age of 18 at the Rome Olympics. He won the light heavyweight title. But we had no idea. I mean, I, that part I don't remember. Uh, I was too young to remember the, the, the Rome Olympics. But I do, remember, I, I do remember the first Liston fight. It wasn't live. In those days, the world's changed. I mean, these young people today might not understand. But uh, these things, the, the, the old uh, heavyweight championship fights, you, you never watched them on TV live. Closed circuit. You had to go closed circuit. You had to go Maple Leaf Gardens. You know who ran that here? Irv Ungerman. And Bobby Orr. Oh, and Bobby Orr. And, and Mike Anscombe. There was yeah. a legend, uh, the legendary broadcaster, Mike Anscombe, and Irv Ungerman, the old chicken plucker, yeah. and Royce DuPont, and Bobby Orr, and Alan Eagleson. They were all together on them. I went to all of them. Yeah. I watched that fight at Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, I ended up, what I, uh, I was too young to go down to the gardens. I mean, we didn't have enough money in those days, but uh, I used to watch them on, they'd put them on Wide World of Sports on ABC. And if it wasn't the following Saturday, it'd be the Saturday after that. And you'd watch them on, and I, in a wide world of sports, it used to be WKBW in Buffalo. It used to come on at 4.30 or at, at about that time on Saturday afternoons. Used to watch it religiously every Saturday afternoon. And that's how, you, that's how most people would see the heavyweight fights in those days. And, and I remember that. I remember I still have a distinct memory of, of Ali winning uh, beating Liston in the first fight where Liston didn't come out. And they threw the white towel and he didn't come out for the seventh round. And I'm sure you remember this like it was yesterday, Spider. Ali went nuts. He jumped all over. He jumped all over I the ropes. I'm the I best in the, the world. world. I shook, I'm the greatest of all time and all that stuff. And I'm looking at this and I said, who's this 22-year-old kid, 24-year-old kid? However, he was 22 at the time. However old he was. And he'd just taken out. Like less the most feared man, <laughs> man in the world. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, it, it was just. But let's talk about let's talk about Muhammad Ali, the boxer, and what made because he he you know I remember watching him for the first time, and I'm saying, is he is he is he in the same sport as everybody else? Because everybody else was flat footed, and yeah. he and and you you've been around longer than i have and you and you mentioned to me earlier that he, i mean there was a lot of sugar ray robinson he idolized Muhammad. ray robinson okay. but ali was float like a butterfly sting like a bee he was up on his toes he'd say float like a butterfly sting like a bee and then yeah. he had another one oh what a feeling it must be to be hit by a man you can't even see yeah, that's he, how fast he but was. he was up on his toes he was, an he was dancing around but he and was that's the incredible he, physical toll to dance around in a ring 
and 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 throw punches for ten rounds, fifteen rounds. That's an incredible feat. Uh, tell you me know a little bit about incredible that. about you're absolutely right. And what's incredible was he threw them in combinations. They hadn't seen heavyweights do that. Joe Lewis threw beautiful combinations, but he was very slow footed. That's why he would have had big trouble with Ali, regardless of what the Joe Lewis fans say. Ali was bigger and stronger and faster. But Muhammad Ali was more than just a guy with skill. He had tremendous hand speed and skill. He was well-schooled because, remember, he started at 13. He was an AAU champion at 17. 17! He was a gold medalist winner at 18. This guy, but he's more than just a guy that had skills. He had a tremendous chin. He could take it. He also had a competitive spirit second to none. He had pride. He wanted to win. He wanted to win. He could not take a loss. It was as he had a major ego. Well, and that's and it's the other thing people forget, and you hit the nail. And we're talking to Spider Jones, of course. Spider, a personal friend of Muhammad Ali, and of course we lost Muhammad Ali uh, uh, this week, uh, the greatest of all time, the champ. But he had a heart. I mean, he was he was a pretty boy for boxing. Muhammad Ali was a pretty boy. Are you kidding? The first time I saw him, <laughs> as I said, I don't know whether to kiss you or shake your hand. I, I couldn't take a, find. Take a look at that picture. Yeah, I mean, we're, I, we're looking at a Toronto Sun picture from the Toronto Sun sports section this morning. And uh, Ali, what, he's probably what at that? He's probably about 25, 26 years old. In that area. Yeah. And he just, he looks, he looks like, uh, I would, I was like with a him Hollywood on, actor. I, I, I got to tell you a story. Wally, I was with him on many occasions and I watched women swoon and drool <laughs> over this guy. Truth. And he loved it. I, I, there's a side and people don't know. He loved to flirt. He was very flirtatious. Uh, he, and he would say, watch this. And he'd go over and say, honey, I'm gonna give you a hug. And, and, and he was just crazy. I remember one time at Young and Dundas. He stopped traffic, and from for blocks back, it was jammed. People were getting out of their cars to take pictures with him. This guy, he he was big noise. He was he he was. The people loved him. Just incredible, and and going back, he had the heart. I mean, there was that incredible bout with Joe Fraser. It was just it was a battle of. I think it was was it the. I can't remember if it was the thrill in Manila, the one where Fraser threw in the towel after the 14th round. That was the was third that the fight. Was the third the fight? The thriller in Manila was a chiller. Yeah. And, 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 and in that fight, it was just a, a complete battle of wills between Joe Fraser and, and Muhammad Ali, who was, I mean, um, Ali described that fight at the end as being as almost a near-death experience. He yeah. said that's as close as he felt to death during his lifetime. And those two, and, you know, talk about Joe Fraser. Um, when you think about Muhammad Ali, I mean, there's the Sonny Liston, there's George Foreman, but ultimately the intertwining of Ma- Ali's career, you think more of Ali Fraser and those two that butted heads, those two competitors. And I do want to ask you something that, um, and I want your perspective on this spider. Muhammad Ali, the one area perhaps you can be critical of Muhammad Ali is perhaps his relationship with Joe Fraser. Joe Fraser, and you may know better than me, Spider, may have taken it to his grave. I don't know if there was ever reconciliation. There was. There was. 
Was was Muhammad Ali fair to Joe Fraser in no, terms of how he treated him? No, he wasn't. It was theater, but it was wrong because Joe Fraser was nobody's Uncle Tom. Just because people, whites, cheered for Joe Fraser, Ali called him an Uncle Tom. That was unfair. Joe wasn't a political person. Uh, but Joe Frazier was a great fighter, a relentless fighter. Remember, he handed Ali his first loss. I knew Joe personally, and I had Joe on one time years ago when we opened the casino at uh, Casino Rama, the theater, a part of the casino, and Joe refused to talk about Ali. He never forgave Ali. He may have did that one uh, You might have—he'd left that impression, but it's not true. Joe never really forgave Ali for, for that because— Ali called him an Uncle Tom, a white folks N-word. Why would Ali, why did Ali do that? He did that because uh, uh, he was, the, the, Ali had a side of him that could be mean at times. As, as with when he fought Ernie Terrell and when he fought uh, Floyd Patterson, they wouldn't regard, they wouldn't refer to him as, as uh, Muhammad Ali. They called him Cassius Clay and he beat them both up pretty badly. Uh, he had a little bit of a mean streak in him, but he asked Joe to forgive him after as they mellowed out. Because Joe and him started out as friends. When Ali was exiled, Joe offered him money a couple times. They had become good friends. But Ali just got caught up in the moment and took it too far. But he did ask for forgiveness. He's a great man. And, and I'm not sure Joe ever really forgave him. Because Joe Fraser was a great fighter and a great guy. I loved him as a friend. I sparred with him once. I'd never do it again because he almost killed me. And he was just, and he was, he was just playing with me. But... Now that's kind of that's 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 a, that's the a sad side. He he did that, but he 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 also called Floyd Patterson an Uncle Tom, and and you can't call a black man an Uncle Tom. That's like calling you a traitor. Them's fighting words, man. Anywhere you go. And as we're talking to Spider Jones, uh, Spider, we've got a couple of minutes left in the show, and uh, Ali, boxing. Where do you rate him in terms of in terms of historically? Uh, is he the greatest heavyweight champion? I think of all he time? is. I believe he is because of what he had on any given night. He could. He'd be the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. I look at the other ones that were great, Rocky Marciano, but way too small. Uh, he would have just danced. It danced him. Lennox Lewis, uh, a, a good puncher, maybe the biggest heavyweight champion of all time. But I think. Ali would have confused him. These big fighters like they're only good for three or four rounds, and Ali's already proved he can weather the storm. He did it with Fraser, and he did it with, with Foreman. These guys are... Now, as far as Joe Lewis goes, Joe was a great fighter, but a sucker for a right hand. Ali was a great right-hand lead and too smart for him. Just one minute left. Um, last time you, last time you, uh, you talked to Muhammad. Uh, it, it was, it's been years. Uh, last time I talked to him was about... 2003. He didn't communicate well, uh, but I saw him a lot at events. We sat together, and he all, he knew who I was. He remembered me. He kissed me a couple times. Uh, like when I met him, I was a young man just out of prison, and, and I was on the brink, and he heard me discuss music, and he said, I was born to be the heavyweight champion of the world. You were born to be in radio, and you know it's a funny thing because George Chevelle is the one that opened the door in radio, so, so that's that. I want to do one thing before I leave. Please, I, I, I my web, I, I have a website, uh, www.spiderjones.com, and uh, you can uh, Twitter is spider underscore Jones, or you can email me spiderjones at rogers.com. I love to talk to people about alley boxing and about music. 
Well, I know, uh, I know you're contributing some fantastic work in the community, Spider. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance. This was our Muhammad Ali tribute show. We didn't get a chance to talk a little bit more about Spider Jones because uh, I think people need to constantly be reminded of the work that you do in the community, and uh, they need to be reminded of the Spider Jones uh, story. So certainly I will leave it off as leaving you with an invitation to come back and join us. I'll take up on that, number one. And number two, thank you for the tribute that uh, 740 and yourself have did on, 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 on a great friend and a great human being. Thank you so much. We've been talking to Spider Jones. We've been talking about Muhammad Ali, the champ, the greatest of all time. He certainly will never be replaced. You've been listening to the Nazawali Sports Hour. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.